Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Hello to all my friends in Ireland and listening to the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Huzzah! I'm just tuning in from the Caribbean to listen to one of my favourite columnists, the great, the witty, the erudite, the very funny Marina Hyde of The Guardian. We've had our ups and downs, our ins and outs, our twos and fro's, but all fair in love and war. Uh, thank you, Marina, and do be gentle to Boris today. Huzzah! Mario, this is Fintan O'Toole. Just listening to the podcast... And I have to say, in a sense, um, to one of the wittiest, funniest, most um, erudite, enlightened columnists you've ever had on. But enough about me. I'm also looking forward to hearing Marina Hyde today. Thank you. Over and out. So, like a lot of people in Ireland, I've suddenly become fascinated by British politics. There used to be a time, not so long ago, when all the entertainment value came from the gombinism and the sheer theatre of Irish politics. But recently, uh, the situation has totally changed. We look positively sober and supremely rational when compared to our friends across the water in Westminster. British politics is frankly mad at the moment. From the Punch and Judy show that is the Parliament and Prime Minister's questions on a Wednesday afternoon to the plethora of outrageous and frankly unbelievable characters that it is producing on an almost daily basis from Boris Johnson to Liz Truss to Quasi Quarteng from um, Suella Braverman to Pretty Platel and the absurd, the absolutely insanely absurd Jacob Rees-Mogg. And nobody I know um, has captured this I don't know, madness, really, better than my guest on today's podcast. And her name is Marina Hyde. And she's simply one of the funniest and most cutting columnists, I think, in the English-speaking world at the moment. She writes for The Guardian, and I read her religiously twice a week. And I have to say, when she accepted our invitation to be a guest on me humble old Irish podcast, be Jesus, I was daffing me cap and tugging me forelock. That's my hair I was tugging. Sorry, um, uh, to the great Marina. Suffice to say, I was a little nervous about meeting her. I even put on my best shirt for our meeting. And she didn't disappoint. She is a charming and a brilliant guest who speaks as well as she writes. And we get stuck in straight away to all the madness going on across the water. I always tried to make people laugh and I certainly tried to always make people laugh in the classroom at school. And, you know, I was forever in trouble all the time. I was trying to do it then all the time. Um, and was I spent a huge amount of my school career in the corridor outside the classroom. Just an <laughs> unbelievable amount. He's one of British politics's biggest, you know, villains. And we were just watching him. You know, it was like watching the freeway chase in LA with OJ. I mean, come on. It's Sky Sports, really. Like yeah. it was deadline day. If people object... Um, on taste grounds of jokes, um, I get really annoyed and I just have an argument about it. So in general, I don't like being told that something can't go in for taste reasons and it doesn't tend to happen, um, probably because I'm a real dick about it. (laughs) One of my friends mentioned Nadine Doris going on I'm a Celebrity and eating whatever she ate, kangaroo balls or whatever. She, Secretary of State, replied on Twitter, I'm sure the the kangaroo balls tasted nicer than yours. 
My full chat with Marina Hyde coming up very shortly. But we're going to stay on the topic of international politics today, this time to the west of us, across the pond the other way, because the midterm elections, the, uh, the voting, is in full swing at the moment in the United States. And a few of my podcasting colleagues have been keeping a very close eye on them, including David McWilliams. Ready to go, David? Ready to go, John. All about the midterm elections, yeah? That's right, midterms. And the effects on the world economy. Rightio, John. That's all we're talking about, okay? Yeah, you cue me up on that, John, and I'll go. How are you doing? It's David here alongside John as usual. Hi, David. John, you mentioned something very interesting to me earlier. Yeah, we were talking about the midterm elections. And its effect on the economy. That's right. As everyone knows, John, when America sneezes, Ireland catches a cold. Oh, that's an incredible analogy. <laughs> but when I think of America, John, yeah, I think of me poor old who's oh, hustling together the last few oh, shillings he had David. to stick me on a plane David. over to the States in the late 80s David. to emigrate on a J1 Stop with it. the 35,000 other Irish poor toad hats. You're making it up. I was so bleeding smashed, John. Fuck's I wasn't sake. even wearing Jocks on the plane, sleeping on the mean streets of Manhattan. I resign. Alien, I was having the bollocks beaten off me every night by two scobs called Randy and Chester, (laughs) who got me into the crack. Oh, that was the fucking end of me. Hustling on the streets of New York, I was selling me ass on me knees with the teeth falling out of me head. John, John. And of course, my pet favourites, Joanne and Vogue. Hey, Joanne. Yeah? What's the midterms? Is everybody pregnant? Fuck's sake, Vogie. The midterms is the elections in the States. Republicans and Democrats. Oh. See who gets the house? Uh, whose house? The house. Congress, you fucking idiot. Sorry. Right, Jesus, do you not know anything? Anyway, the Republicans are raging because Trump is like fucking trying to steal all the limelight or something. So is Trump coming back? He's left us all hanging. He's not saying yes or no. He's such a cock tease. <laughs> oh, no. I couldn't bear Trump. What? I'd fucking love to see him back. I think Trump is fucking brilliant. I'd ride him. Come on, Joanne. Apparently, his yoke is the shape of a mushroom. Did you hear that? Oh, stop! (laughs) I'd love to see that anyway. No. Think about it, Fogey. We'd be brilliant together, right? We've both got blonde hair. Yeah. We've both got the best fake tan. And both of us spend our whole lives talking shite to huge crowds of people. It'd be like riding myself. No, Joanne. Actually, that's an idea. Back in five minutes. It's totally gone to her head. Okay, now it's time for the main event, my interview with Marina Hyde, the great Marina Hyde. What Marina was blissfully unaware of is that for many years now, I have um, at times been getting inspiration for gift grub sketches from her columns for quite a while now. So I thought it was only fair to start the interview by, well, fessing up. Enjoy. And my name is Mario and I put on a nice shirt for the interview today. I know. I, thank you very you. much. I've just listened to your funny sketch. But it's very good. Oh, thank you very much. Actually, you know what? That's a good place to start with because um, I want to thank you for all the ideas you've given me over the last six <laughs> years. <laughs> I, I can't believe that. I'm very lucky. Not in a James Corden kind of plagiarism kind of way now, uh, taking it off Ricky, Ricky Gervais, but just as a kind of a, an inspirational way, Marina. Um, so what I've been doing... Oh, you're I, very kind. Yeah, no, no, you're very kind for not even knowing that you were giving them to me and I'm ripping you off left, <laughs> right and centre. 
<laughs> so listen, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do in this interview, because I, I know that if you're promoting something, you go, I have another one at three o'clock. I have another one at four o'clock. What the hell are they going to ask me? Please don't ask me any questions like, oh, what's the state of British politics? And what does what does what does Matt Hancock going into the jungle say about the future of Britain? I'm not going to ask you anything like that. I'm going to try and make it a different kind of interview. So. Uh, again, thanks for all the ideas over the years. Um, I robbed the idea, little robotics idea you had for Rishi. And uh, I was reading your Matt Hancock uh, thing this morning. And I went, of course, what a way to go with Matt. The next thing he needs to do now is, is, a, is a, a, a cologne commercial. Or a, yes, a he will commercial. be. Divorce by Matt Hancock. Absolutely. He's decided perfect. to merchandise himself fully now. He has. He has sold out completely. I heard that he's only getting about 35,000 quid for it. I heard he was getting about three fifty. Oh, did you? Right. Yeah. Okay. It's still not that much to incinerate your career completely. Um, I feel it is quite incinerated, if we're perfectly honest. So it's it is quite it is it's rather it, in a, in a way I think it's quite good, but um, obviously not when you have another job. Yeah. You said something in your column there this morning that actually summed it all up. You said the man Matt Hancock situation. You said it's simultaneously the very last thing you want to see but also all you want to see. Mario, I'm going to be glued to it. I've got to be honest. I was not going to be watching otherwise. I'm going to be sitting there. I feel like we will see tears. I, I just, I think he's he's on a, he keeps telling everyone he's on a journey. So he has to now be on a journey. Someone was saying to me today that he's one of those people who sort of narrates his life. Um, and I, because I think he sort of, perhaps he lacks narrators who tell his story the way he'd like it to be told and so I think he's always telling people you know I the idea that he's going to go on the, to talk about you know to dyslexia it's like what, have you seen the format it's nothing to do with your particular pet subject I mean where's where's the bit he's going to talk about dyslexia I don't understand he's gonna have his mouth full of something horrible yeah, he's going to totally talk about dyslexia for nine hours and they're just going to show the four seconds he's in the shower getting absolutely rinsed by Anton Deck. Anton Deck the four just, seconds he's having a fight with Boy George about how many people he's killed during the pandemic. Really. Anton Deck are just going to come, by, come up behind him and go, tell us about the bit you had your hand around her ass in the yellow beat. <laughs> tell, tell us that, Matt. Go on, Matt, tell us. Yeah, so it's all that you don't want to see, but all that you do want to see kind of sums up a lot that's been happening in the last number of years. Um, for me, for someone who covers British politics, I feel like it's been like being chained to a lunatic for the last six years. And you wake up every morning wondering what the lunatic will do that day, where the lunatic will go that day. And you're just kind of stuck with it. You're, We've been trapped in this kind of psychodrama of it. So I, I, the car or the train left the tracks... <laughs> Is actually still continuing, but has not got back onto the tracks for us. No. no. The reason I'm talking to you and you're talking to me is because of your book, What Just Happened. And what just happened, um, explain two, two things to my listeners. Just explain what is what just happened and explain to them what you do on a daily basis. Right. What just happened is a collection of some of my Guardian columns over the last six years. Um, and it's got, it kind of covers the whole political story. It's got, but it's not got just politics in it. It's got, you know, sports stars, um, reality TV monsters, uh, celebrities, um, billionaires, philanthropists, kind of philanthropists, um, populists, uh, all the kind of, you know, a whole bit on, a whole lot on Trump, all the sort of, <laughs> basically the kind of full spectrum horror show that we've been through over the last however six years um, in all the different chapters. So, 
And my job in general is to write newspaper columns, ideally quite funny ones if possible, though I don't always do, not always, occasionally I will roll back the humour and have something different, um, uh, about the news that is in front of me. And there has been quite a lot of news. Oh, yes, exactly. So this is what you do. And here's here's one of the ways I want to come at this with you. How do you do it? How do you sit down to write a column? Well, I get up very early in the morning and I sit at my desk and uh, I try and have it all finished by, you know, midday at the later. But I, what I tend to do is I never know what I'm going to, I know what I'm, I'm not, don't know what I'm going to write about till that morning. So I have a look at the news and decide what it might be about. Um, and then I never start at the beginning. I just open a sort of blank word document, put some lines in, move them around and eventually, after about two or three hours, out of that kind of primordial soup, something staggers a column of some of, of varying quality, and that yeah. will be and and that will be the column. And it, it, I just I don't think other people do it in that way, which is why I merely mention it because I think I think most people start at the beginning. Mm, yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I move you it all around and then splatter a lot of words really like a crime scene, like a detective, like a detective putting yes. crime. Yeah, it's a bit like a sort of, yes, exactly. It's like one of those walls covered with yarn. Yes, yeah. trying to make links between the various suspects and incidents. Yes, that is exactly what it's like. That's very good. I hadn't I thought get, of it like I that. Get an idea. I, right. get, I get an idea as to what you're doing, actually. What you're doing is you're encouraging maybe your unconscious mind to play a little. In other words, rather than yes, force it to make right. a column, you're playing. You're, like, you're being childish. You're going to go, let's throw a load of words up there and see where, where it takes my mind. Yes. And you know what? I never know what I'm actually, what I think about something until I'm about two thirds of the way through it. And then having gone through that process, which you described very well, I think, oh, I see. That's what I think about it. And then by the end, I'll have a, some form of conclusion, ideally. Yeah. yeah. And, and pictures. Did I read about you that you, sometimes you just go into Google Images and look at pictures? I literally, I spend a huge amount of time sitting in front of Google Images, making my eyes go a bit squiffy, thinking... Now, what do you look like of this or that politician? Yeah, I spend an enormous amount of time thinking, what does this person look like or what do they remind me of um, staring at pictures? But, I mean, I didn't have that long to do it with Liz Trust. I thought I I might be bedding in for a few years of Google Images with Liz Trust, but as it turned out, it it was very little time. Yeah, there were only 14 entries. There were only 14 entries of pictures of Liz Trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I make no apologies for saying that I love your column and I've been reading your column for about six years. And it's funny that I use that word six years because it was ever since the 52, 48% vote uh, uh, for Brexit. And I guess that's when a lot of people would have would have heard about you. People would have nudged each other and gone, have you seen your one in the Guardian? Have you seen your one yeah, in but, the Guardian? She has another one out. She's funny what, again. Mario, it's yeah. interesting. That is the exact time that I reckon I found my sort of voice oh. um, for writing about politics. Definitely. I honestly didn't feel it had come together. I wrote other columns, my celebrity column and a sport column, and I kind of worked out how I wanted to do those. But I hadn't quite got it with the politics for a long time. And there was something about that particular event, the referendum, and the kind of weeks after it, which were kind of tumultuous and there were things happening all the time. Um, and during that kind of hellfire moment, I found it and I made. I thought, oh, I see, this is how I want to do it. And I've, I, I, I can see that. I can do it with all these analogies from things I actually like, like, I don't know, pop music or sport. Or Most of my columns are full of references to other things, talking about politics viewed through the prism of other things like, I don't know, pop music or movies or football or whatever it may be. Good fellas. Um, Which are things that people actually like as opposed to politics, which they don't. Um, But, yeah, it's very much about that time that it started to 
I'm not saying that, you know, all my columns are great because mostly I hate the things I write, but I, it all started to sort of work around then. No, absolutely. I mean, I often notice your references. The thing about your columns as well is when they're published online, they might have references to Goodfellas or Succession, and you might make an oblique reference to something, but you'll add a link. The link, the the um, the word will be will be uh, will be highlighted so that if you hit the I word, you'll go straight into the link, and the link will explain what your reference is. Which I, I think do is try to do that because it's nice to have new references, isn't it? And if people don't know what they are, then they might click on it and watch the clip from whatever movie it is and think, ah, oh, yes, it is quite like that. Yeah. And anyway, it, you get to watch the work of greater creators than I that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, 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 you're funny and you're really funny and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of splutter up, splutter out the coffee funny, that kind of thing. Oh, you, you can, are lovely. You no, know, your writing can really creep up on you. You think you're, you're, you're deceptive. You think you're going down one way in a sentence and suddenly you'll, you'll just, you'll just hijack the person totally and really, really, really railroad them. And, you know, listeners, I absolutely encourage you to read Marina's uh, wonderful gar- uh, column. But like, I mean, it's, it's a tough ask to describe Boris Johnson. But here is one of Marina's little descriptions. He, uh, Boris was like an Oxfam donation bag torn open by a fox. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I mean, you've had millions more. Millions he does more. look like that. <laughs> Yeah, but it's very hard to, unless you're able to, it's very hard to come up with something like that. Someone once described, um, I, I burst out laughing when someone once described Jacob Rees-Mogg to me as a haunted pencil. Uh, yeah, that's a good, thought, yeah, I love, I, I mean, you just want to be take when the politics is grim, you just want, you know, we have to have laughs, I think. We have to laugh because, I mean, really, otherwise. And I do think you, those descriptions kind of make people laugh and take them out, you know, just take them out of the moment a bit. And then, yeah, try, try I mean, not, it gives you a new way of looking at them in a way. Yeah. Try and do, don't worry about the fact that you're speaking to somebody else here um, and try and not be so self-deprecating for the, for the next question. But when or ever did you know you were funny? Because you have an ability to write that is funny and you, you must know that you're hitting a funny bone when you do it. You say uh, after you write it, you don't like it, but listen, Marina, it's funny. So how did you know well, you were funny I, and who told some, you? Well, when I was a child, I was always trying to do little plays and little things like that. I always liked doing things like writing sketches. So I always tried to make people laugh. And I certainly tried to always make people laugh in the classroom at school. And, you know, I was forever in trouble all the time. Mm. I was trying to do it then all the time. Um, and was I spent a huge amount of my school career in the corridor outside the classroom. Just an <laughs> unbelievable amount. Um, I'm sure that I would be sent out by the politicians nowadays, but (laughs) I've spent a large amount of time outside classrooms. Um, But yeah, so I always tried to be funny and I do always try to make people, people, I do, I do try to make people laugh and you kind of, there is actually something quite therapeutic about trying to think about jokes when politics is so bad as it has been um, for us in the UK over the last, you know, six years that there is something people often say to me, Oh, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you? And I think, well, dare I say, I, it, I find it quite therapeutic having to write about it because therapists often tell you to write everything down. Don't they? My job is sort of being made to write everything down about it. So when you sit there trying to work your way through something ridiculous thing that I don't know, Rishi Sunak or someone has said, and you kind of try and think, what's the joke? What's the joke? And when you finally hit on something, it's, there's not, there's never one joke, but something that you feel like it works. It's almost like a little bit of the annoyance been unlocked within you I I do have you have a sort of it's almost a physical feeling where you think okay that will do and then you feel better about uh the situation just yeah. probably momentarily but it does work yeah exactly. Humor is, yeah. I mean humor is a pressure valve isn't it, it and is. god we've had enough pressure 
So humor is a, it's a release of pressure. Um, and I, um, so I, I think it's probably su- particularly suited to our times. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of my life writing sketches for radio and uh, they involve sports stars and uh, they involve politicians and anybody that's in, in the limelight and puts their head above the parapet. Um, and it is quite it is quite disheartening to realize as you get older that like it doesn't ever seem to make any fucking difference. Um, oh, who, no. I mean, satire know. makes no difference at all yeah. and it never, ever has. I mean, it never has. Mm. But what it does do, it makes a difference to, it doesn't change historical events. Like there's no, none of the greatest satirists in the world changed any historical events ever. What it does do is it gives you a new way of looking um, that can be quite cathartic and qu- quite, you know, being able to laugh at people and f- sort of being shown, you know, it's, you know, you often look at politics and you know it's wrong and you know it's just a piss take of you as a one of the voters or whatever. But when someone's made it funny, you know, when you look at something like happened with a thick of it or whatever, you think that that actually, you know, changed. it was so accurate as to how politics is, but it, you know, just turbocharged and made a brilliant satirical creation. But it gave people a new way of looking at politics who hadn't necessarily seen that. And Armando had sort of had that clever idea of, oh, I see, this is what it's actually like in the room where it happens, you know, in the thick of it, as it were. And it's not like, you know, Masters of the Universe. It's it's a terrible workplace comedy where people, very, very inadequate people, fail to control events. And once you see politics in those ways, it's actually a real release just for all of us. I mean, people like that, things like that have made my life, have enriched it completely. So it does help people. It's enriched my life completely. You know, things like the day-to-day, anything of Chris Morris's, you know, these people are my absolute heroes. And, you know, I, I they, they changed, they changed the way I saw things forever. And they made me feel like, you know, they made all people who watch their stuff, you feel like you're in a lovely gang of like us versus them, the them being the awful old politicians or whoever it is. So I do think satire is a very kind of companionable and um, valuable thing, but I don't think it changes anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And I agree with you very much about the day-to-day as well. Um, I think the, Amazing. Yeah, I think the, the act of doing it as well, just you doing it, you being allowed to do it, whether you're good, uh, mediocre or brilliant, the act of doing it is part of the is is part of what's essential about our society. The act of definitely, being able to definitely. do it. So, for example, um, one of the first things that Putin um, did when he was when he when he became president of uh, Russia was he got the spitting image of Russia uh, in Russia taken off the screens. Yeah, and he had that done in around two thousand and six because the one thing dictators don't want to be is laughed at. That is there. Yeah. That is there. They draw the line at that. They just don't want to be laughed at. And of course, what you do is to laugh at people and to and to, to hold the mirror up to them, as it were, and then reflect. And there's a certain amount of mockery. And you are allowed to do that. And people in Britain are allowed to do that. So even though things are shit at the moment, it still is a free society where people like you are able to write yes. what they will. Thank goodness. Yes. And, and I, this would be a follow on question. And that is, I mean, obviously, The Guardian is a kind of a, a beacon of 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 sort of liberal, if you like, to inverted commas, thoughts. But, you know, are you asked to remove certain jokes? Are you ever, do you have negotiation with your editor that goes, uh, do you, is there, a, is there a person that you have to show it to? And they go, I'm not sure about that, Marina. 
I'm not sure about that. And then you go, do you negotiate? Well, with we them? have the legal department with whom I've shared many, many special times and many more to come. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm quite good at working out how to get things legally in. Sometimes things have to come out for legal reasons and that's just that. But I know the law quite well. So I have to say touch wood, I'll probably get a massive legal tomorrow. But um, I, I know the law quite well. So I, I'm quite good at finding ways of getting things into the paper rather than getting them, take them out of the paper. Um, if people object um, on taste grounds of jokes, mm-hmm. um, I get really annoyed and I just have an argument about it. So in general, I don't like being told that something can't go in for taste reasons and it doesn't tend to happen, um, probably because I'm a real dick about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they've kind of let me alone. Uh, within my own writing process, that kind of two or three hours, there's always a couple of things I put in that I just think, oh, no, that's going, that's disgusting. I'm taking it out. And I have to take an axe to various things. But um, if there's ever an after hours version of my column, you know, password protected, I could put them in there, I suppose. But yeah, there are sometimes things where I think, I'll, I'll take that one out. It's just, even I think that's going too far and come up with something slightly less um, extreme. But um, in general, I don't get a whole lot of um, fuss about it. Yeah. But that, I, have, I think that's because for very, you know, as I say, because I'm quite difficult about it. And also maybe I'm just quite long in the tooth now and they kind of leave me alone a bit more. Not at all. Have you ever had any like major well-known complainants that? Um, hmm. Well, there are certain people, people like Richard Branson always complain, not legally, but they'll write a letter in and he always does a sort of cell phone. He always ends up repeating the joke. I remember there was one column I wrote in the pandemic I can't quite remember what. Oh, yes, I remember why. So it was at the start of the pandemic and obviously the NHS was already on its knees and it was really, really difficult. And Richard's only kind of um, previous interaction with the NHS, well, not only previous interaction, but most notable one was when he tried to sue it because he'd been providing various services. For, anyway, and but he asked for a bailout for his airline. You know, he's a huge environmentalist, mm-hmm. owns an airline. Um, and he he asked for a bailout for the airline. And then he said, what I'll do is I'll put up my Caribbean island, my private Caribbean island, as security, which is like, well, that's not a thing. This is like Blofeld asking for a bi- bridging loan or something. You can't, <laughs> what do you mean your island? Also, if you follow every coffin spit of things that Richard Branson does, as I do, you will know that he, um, this island gets either swept down by a hurricane once every two years or else there's a fire and, you know, Kate Winslet has to rescue some of the other guests. These, this island is permanently on the verge of destruction. It, you know, it's on a sort of two-year cycle. So, And I think I ended up saying something like, I'm not religious, but if I were religious, um, I would wonder whether, you know, God keeps visiting the punishments on his private island in order to encourage him to pay tax in the correct jurisdiction. And he then wrote his letter saying, which I think the Guardian put on the rest page underneath the phrase, benevolence of Richard Branson, which he discussed his own benevolence for the whole of the letter. And then at the end, but then he ended up saying, we're particularly disappointed that she said, we're not, you know, if she was, um, that if if she were religious, she would think that God was destroying my private island because I don't pay tax. You know, he repeated the whole joke. It was like, this, you, this is a total self-own. You sound ridiculous. He always complains, but only by letter, not legally, because the things are not legal mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you written comedy sketches? I have. I used to write comedy sketches, yes. And I, and many years ago, when I was very much younger, I did stand-up and things like that. But oh. I, I sort of stopped it all when I was in my early 20s. But I love, yes, I loved doing comedy sketches. I like doing, you know, 
I suppose it's more fictional, isn't it? Although every, that's the thing, our politics has felt, felt strange with the fiction over the last years. But yes, I, I've done lots of comedy sketches in my yeah. time. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the reason I ask is because when you do comedy sketches, you can put some of the language that you like to use into the mouths of others rather than just yes. yourselves. Yes. I mean, that's, I mean, I sometimes, <sighs> actually, that's the thing. When covering politics, I don't know, 10 years ago, it was different. You did notice that people, there was a certain sort of, there were more rules and norms as to what politicians themselves actually say. Now, I mean, one of my friends was, one of my friends was, um, who's the sketch writer for The Independent and is very funny. Um, she, he, in, in passing about three years ago, mentioned Nadine Doris going on I'm a Celebrity and eating whatever she ate, cam, kangaroo balls or whatever. She, Secretary of State, replied on Twitter, I'm sure the, the kangaroo balls tasted nicer than yours. I actually think she was secretary. It's possible she was she was a sec- or she was a minister. Certainly, it. I mean, now you feel like something very significant has been lost that we now hear people talking in politics like that. So when you're saying to me, yeah, you can write a lot of language that you can't, you know, you can put there in other people's mouths. The language that is in the mouths of the politicians now is quite out there. In a way, you know, the comedy comes from stepping back for it and just thinking. Wow, let's just unpack that for a minute. Here's another thing that pisses me off, Marina. Why do commentators and why do we all we all settle for second best as we all second we all settle for the the, the gruel that we're handed to by media organizations as cliches. So for example, Keir Starmer is depicted as leaden and dull and grey, whereas Boris Johnson was depicted as mercurial, gifted, witty and dynamic. Now, as a person who is just observing both men on on mm. their strengths and on their on the, Boris Johnson is frankly one of the worst speakers I've ever seen. I've never seen him being witty. I've seen him repeat kind of schoolboy undergraduate, you know, Oxbridge stuff and and it's something classical references and everything. But nothing clever, nothing witty. He's terrible on his feet. This was one of the things they lauded him for that he was supposed to be great on his feet, quick off the mark. He was terrible on his feet. He's a terrible orator. He looks awful. Um, he can't answer a question straight. He won't look somebody in the eye. He laughs um, like a naughty schoolboy when pinned down on something. He's palpably fake. Starmer, in the, not that I'm a supporter of Starmer, but Starmer is clearly articulate, decent, uh, concerned. Um, I wouldn't have said dull or grey. I would have said kind of normal. Um, I don't understand why they, they get necessarily painted as this. It seems to be a very easy caricature to paint. Like, where did people get the idea that Boris is gifted? I mean... Like, well, there's you know. some, there's, you know, it's what everyone talks about now, isn't it? It's vibes. I mean, he vibes. successfully gave off the vibes yeah. of somebody who was funny. You know, he, vibes. he acted like a comedian and he successfully gave, and he convinced a sufficient amount of people don't forget that lots of people had a very poor opinion of him, even the polling in the 2019 general election, but they felt he could do this thing for them, he could get Brexit done or whatever it was. But actually, he convinced a sufficient number of people that his vibes, that what he gives off is, I'm a joker and I'm an entertainer. And I'm afraid to me, what Keir Starmer gives off the vibes is, is like someone who likes telling people off. That may be very unfair, but it's just how he, he's best at telling people off and he's had plenty of people to tell off. Mm. But um, he's had Johnson, he's had... Um, you know, trust. He's you know he's had a parade of them, hasn't he? 
But as I mentioned earlier, I didn't really like being told off. I spend a lot of my school days being told off. I mean, people don't like it, do they? You've got to have something else. It, vibes is really massive. Vibes is huge. People make judgments now so much more on how people come across than they do on their policy positions. Um, I'm sorry to say, um, but it is the, it's the reality. And the media is partly to do with it, but I, I actually think the the way that people present themselves as well. If, you know, Keir Starmer has spent a very, very long time seeking, because he believes it's a winning strategy and it may well prove to be, to present himself as safe and competent. But the kind of top notes of those vibes are, yeah, you're quite boring. So, you know, it's it's part of what they do as well with their political personas. It's not something entirely fabricated by the media. Johnson obviously spent a huge amount of time. He spent really his whole life presenting himself as types of people. I mean, I think he's a hugely hollowed out human. Hollowed out. Completely. Hollowed out by ambition, unable to you know, think of anything other than how, what, what, what's the thing that I need to say that makes this particular situation best for me? A sort well, of total it, form of narcissism. And in, in your funny sketch world, in your funny sketch world, or even as a, as, as, a, as a writer that might be writing even in the future about Boris Johnson, where does it go with Boris Johnson? I've often asked this question of just anybody, the guy in the pub or a person who I think might know or a, a wise person. I go, what did they want and where does it go? Where does it end with somebody like Boris Johnson? Where does he end in your sketch? I mean, it's really difficult. It was interesting seeing him trying to come back and be prime minister again after, you know, six weeks off. I I found it very funny that because he showed how much he wanted it. And obviously so much of his persona is about, you know, oh, look, I've accidentally become prime minister. So much of it is this Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, I don't really care about things. Nothing serious. It doesn't really matter. It's just jokes, isn't it? We're just joking. We're being ironic all the time. But by getting on that plane, the minute he got on that plane, so, oh, you really want it, don't you? You really, really want it. And he, so we now know that he really, 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 really wants it. And he won't, he obviously hates Sunak. So he won't give up. And also, I believe that's the only, in that mad world, the kind of, horrendous like perma scandal politics that he made the mess the whatever the lack of delivery the everything but actually if all you've wanted to be is world king since you were tiny yeah that is really the only place in which you make sense to yourself Mm. so i feel that you know what's he going to do now like be like you know speaking of another great movie is it going to be like Jake Lamotta and Raging Bull, you know, this kind of overweight guy just like being wheeled out for events, you know. And I saw, you know, oh, he's going to speak at a blockchain conference. I mean, what does he know about fucking blockchain? He's going to go and speak at a blockchain conference. He's a keynote speaker. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you know, he'll be flown and he'll be in a six-star hotel and he'll eat the whole, you know, all the peanuts and all the everything that's in the mini bar. <laughs> and just, he'll look listlessly around the room and think, is that it? And he'll be wheeled onto the stage. And after he's done a few of these, you know, he'll become more and more a slave to his appetites. And I'm not just talking about the minibar. I'm sure we could all imagine the international Boris Johnson tour around there. And he, he will, you know, he'll surrender to his old appetites, but it won't fulfill him. And he'll really be a sort of, really the only place he makes sense to himself is in number 10 Downing Street. And he will really do, and, and it's quite clear now that he will do anything together. I did actually think, Maybe he's going to just try and make a different world for himself. But the idea that he got back on that plane, it's like, ha we can all see now. 
Mm. So, I, I mean, it's an interesting story to watch, isn't it? Oh, but, I agree. Uh, I, 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 one of the things I, that slightly annoyed me about that story about Boris coming back again is how Sky Sports carried footage of the plane landing at the airport. I, I, I mean, I can't. And it made for me, it, it was like OJ in the Ford Bronco. Yeah, it's the reverse it. of OJ in the Ford <laughs> Bronco. <laughs> but stop. He's stop. one of British politics' biggest, actually, probably a literal killer. Um, but he's uh, he's one of British politics' biggest, you know, villains. And we were just watching him. Yeah. You know, it was like watching the freeway chase in L.A. with O.J. I mean, come on. Yeah. But you were watching that plane. Yeah, I know. Sky Sports, really. Like yeah. it was deadline day. I was listening to Petra. There was a, there's a lady, a, a former, I think it's a former girlfriend of Boris's. I think she was a journalist as well called Petronella. Yeah. Petronella, yeah. I think. And, um, and it, she yeah. made a point, actually, um, which was interesting. And it kind of tallies with your point. And she says, the key thing to being somebody like Boris is to be not boring. Because among his class, the biggest crime you can commit is when somebody goes, oh, forget him. He's boring. He's boring me. You're boring me. You cannot bore people. You must be idiotic, even clownish, stupid, feckless, forgetful, anything but boring. You must be an idiot from an Oscar Wilde play. You must be from the importance of being earnest or something like that. I think you're right, but it it also comes from not being able to face things that we talked about it earlier when I was saying to you, you know, humour is a pressure valve, isn't it? And it's a way of not thinking about, you know, it's a way of turning away from the awfulness. And I think obviously he's quite, personally, I think he's quite a damaged person. Um, and I think he's unable to engage seriously with things. It's actually, you know, he's unable to engage seriously with things and which is why he was, had some extraordinary gifts as a politician, but other absolutely massive yawning voids, um, which, meant that he couldn't really achieve things. He could win elections, he could campaign, he could be that kind of, you know, it's like doing a show, isn't it? You can, he could do it for six weeks, but then what? You know, then, you know, then run me a pandemic's response, then build me some houses for God's sake, you know, then level me up, whatever that means. He can't do it. Level me up. Level me up. Level me up, darling. Level me up. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I was going to ask you, um, one of the reasons I go to your column is because I find there's an absence of British satire. And in a time where in a time where I would have thought we would be replete with British satire, I find that there's not much on BBC Radio 4, there's nothing on Radio 2, there's nothing on Radio 1. I don't know any station where I could really find any radio satire. And then I look for TV, and I don't see much on TV either. And I'm kind of wondering... Do you ever think about That's that? Interesting, yeah. Do you ever, I mean, do you I ever think notice? the Americans are even the Americans are even worse. They have very, very little. Um, but that is interesting that you don't see it so much, or maybe it feels old fashioned to you. I don't know. Um, it's quite difficult. I mean, it's it it things have become rather like Trump. I know that too fast. If you talk to Armando about doing Veep, it, it was rather difficult for him to. You know, he said, thank God Trump wasn't in before he, 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 Veep carried on, but he left after season four because he said, I don't know what we'd have really done with American politics once you got Trump in the White House. And that is in, in lots of ways. And obviously the thick of it is part of a sort of pre all this chaos um, era of politics. So whilst you see it in that, now, now it's kind of on the big screen all the time on the, on the news channels. I wonder whether politics has become such a kind of rolling, horror show in lots of ways that it's quite difficult to satirize 
this is what you're brilliant at and it comes in a certain form. But I think that certain I think that certain media organizations are shying away from it for two reasons. They kind of throw in the towel and feel things are moving too fast. We couldn't keep up anyway. And then they also yeah, say maybe. it's too mad to satirize. And then there's a third part of their brain going, you know what? It's not worth it because I just don't want to be sued. I think the suing part, uh, the libel laws are ridiculous in the UK. Um, I think the suing part is a part of it. I think they think it's moving too fast. Obviously, making television takes a long time, mm. in, depending on how you do it. So they feel like it's, you're constantly overtaken by events. Radio is quick, though. You can turn radio, yeah, radio over in an quick. hour. Armando has said that, you know, with the thick of it, they would constantly, things would actually happen in politics that they'd made a joke. So they'd have to go back and redo the joke because mm. it, was, it was already becoming reality. Who do you follow in football? Chelsea. Okay, because I know you love football. And um, so it, I used I, to write about sport. Actually, I'm going to I'm really looking forward to the World Cup because um, I've just agreed. I'm just going to I'm going to write more about sport during uh, during the World Cup. And I was thinking I was speaking the sports desk were like sort of being so polite and saying, do you think you could possibly? And I was like, oh, God, please. I just <laughs> can't. You know, I probably do one politics column a week, but I'll let. Yes, please. I will bite your hand off. I, You know, I can't. I'm dying to write about something. Although the World Cup is obviously a ridiculous event this time, yes. um, there'll be plenty to see there. But I'm, I'm sort of dying for it, just to kind of get get my head out of Westminster for a bit, definitely. I'm not yes. going, but I slightly wish I was. Yes, yes. And Chelsea, I used, to, um, I used to do loads of satirical songs about Chelsea. I used to play Jose Mourinho on the radio. I don't blame you. And yeah, and I did all these. I did all these songs uh, as Jose Mourinho on the radio and everything, and sent them over. They sent them over with Damien Duff to England and all that sort of stuff. So we had some fun doing that. So Chelsea. Oh, that's he was a very good boy. Duff. Yes. Oh, he was. Yeah, there was Duff on one side and Arian Robin on yeah. the other side. They were absolutely magnificent. Oh yeah, that's good. That's back in the day when you could get someone for thirteen million or eleven million. Maybe he was. I can't even remember what he was, but yes. I'm still playing with your idea. You need to do a little, you need to finish that vibes um, article off because you talked about top notes. You were talking about top notes. Top I notes. Nearly, I, I could nearly hear you describing them all as wines and how they smell and the bouquet. Oh yeah, top, I'm shit. I'm sh- I only know that people talk about top notes when they're talking about <laughs> perfume and I don't understand it. But, and I certainly don't understand wine either, although I like to drink it. Marina, I'm going to give this book a great plug. And I think that because oh, of the interest. You in, are lovely. In, Thank in, you. I love more, meeting you. Oh, it's a real pleasure of mine. And, um, uh, I don't normally wear this shirt for everybody I interview. You so know, it's super. It looks really smart. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wish you all the best and I will be following you in the Thank future. You. And uh, I'll probably send you over and annoy you with a couple of my uh, British sketches when I get around to doing them. And, Please uh, do. I want to see them. More okay. of this. Okay, brilliant, Marina. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, guys. And my thanks to Marina Hyde for that great interview. Um, Thanks to you for listening. You can get in touch with me personally, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and I get back to 95% of them. Happy to hear your suggestions for guests. Happy to hear your criticisms and happy to hear your plaudits if you have them as well. They're most welcome. Uh, Take care. Same time, same place next week. Bye bye.